When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to the Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. With the NFL season set to kick off this week, we're going to spend this podcast revisiting one of the biggest football stories of the last decade, and not one that occurred on the field, but off of it. You may remember in 2013, the NFL reached a $1 billion settlement that promised to pay thousands of former football players who were suffering with brain injuries resulting from their careers. The settlement was a big deal, not only because of the dollar amount, but because it was supposed to deliver much-needed relief to these ailing players on behalf of a league that had long pushed back against the narrative that football and head injury were intrinsically linked. But five years after the settlement was finalized, back in 2018, Real Sports dug a little deeper and learned that at that time, around 90% of the players who had applied for payments still hadn't seen a dime. The investigation revealed all sorts of roadblocks that were preventing seemingly eligible NFL players from getting paid. On today's podcast, you're going to hear that full report from our John Frankel. And then afterwards, we're going to discuss a wrinkle of the NFL concussion settlement that's come to light more recently amidst great criticism. It's called race norming, the process of adjusting cognitive test scores on the basis that black individuals would naturally score lower than their white counterparts. The practice has been condemned by critics as unjust and discriminatory, and it turns out that race norming has played a key role in keeping some black NFL retirees from getting paid. Few know this issue better than our guest, Dr. Charles Golden. He's a neuropsychologist who will join us later to share his experience examining retired NFL players, and in some cases, diagnosing them with dementia, only to have those diagnoses and the related settlement payments rejected when the NFL seemingly concluded that the players didn't qualify due to their race. All of that is coming up, but first, let's take you back to 2018 and that investigative report from John Frankel. He was one of the most ferocious hitters of his time. But today, in retirement, Scott Brantley is the one paying the price. Do you think that the conditions you live with today are related to football? 100%. Brantley is now unable to do anything on his own. He needs a walker to move around and needs his wife Mary to help him do everything else. That includes thinking, something he hasn't been able to do right for years. Scott Brantley has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Scott, how old are you today? I am 50 years old, 50, turned 50 the 24th of February, and uh, is that right? No, he's 60. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, 60, yeah. Mary, how often do you see that happen? It's all the time. In just a short conversation, Brantley is liable to see hallucinations. And she? Not a dog, that's okay. a person. Okay. 
and hear imaginary sounds. But are y'all messing with me with some audio sounds or something? You hear things. Yeah, I hear things. I see things. Brantley says he's unable to work and has huge medical bills to pay. So in 2013, when the NFL agreed to settle a lawsuit brought by more than 4,000 former players seeking compensation for their head injuries, Scott and Mary saw it as a godsend. The landmark NFL settlement worth up to $1 billion. The NFL said they cut the deal to help players like Brantley. But five years later, the Brantleys haven't received a dime. The panel overseeing the NFL settlement payments denied his claim, saying he doesn't have Alzheimer's. Never mind that Brantley has been diagnosed with the disease by multiple doctors, or that the federal government pays him full disability, because they say he has the disease too. In the denial, it said, quote, cognitively demanding job working three hours a day. That was one of the reasons given. Scott, do you have a job at all? No. When's the last time you had a job? Can't remember. Mary Brantley says that after her husband was first diagnosed with dementia in 2012, a close friend would bring Scott to appear on his local sports radio show a few hours a week during football season to help her get Scott out of the house, but that he hasn't even been able to do that in years. So based on the fact that you made appearances on a local radio show due to the kindness of the host, Mm -hmm. the administrators of the settlement denied you claiming that you had a job. That is correct. The NFL Mm -hmm. says that no legitimate claim has been rejected. If they were sitting in front of me, I'd say, you're a liar because this is a legitimate claim. And I'm sure there are many other people who have been denied. In fact, today, five years after the settlement was announced, Only 10% of players who filed claims for payment have received any money. That includes only 1% of all claims for dementia. 1%. The NFL notes that the panel overseeing the claims is independent, overseen by the judge who approved the settlement between the league and the players. But earlier this year, lawyers representing the players filed this motion, accusing the NFL of, quote, rigging the settlement system and engaging in scorched-earth litigation to keep from having to compensate its former players. And many of those players and their families say they believe the same thing. Deny, deny until you die. That's what the players think the NFL is doing and has done, and that's what they think has happened to the many friends that they have and love that are gone. There is an expression that you hear among former NFL players, which is... Deny, deny until you die. And you think that's what's happening here? I think that's exactly what's happening. Like Scott Brantley, Ken Calicut played in the 80s as a running back and special teams player for the Lions. And like Scott Brantley, Ken Calicut now suffers from Alzheimer's disease. A full-time caregiver tends to him all day, while his wife works as a hairdresser to help pay off his medical bills. When people call you up and they say, well, what's your opinion about the settlement? They call us to congratulate us. Congratulations, we heard the settlement went through and they're going to help take care of you guys. And when you tell them that you haven't gotten paid? They can't believe it. They go, you, if they're not paying you, who are they paying? Calicut says his problems began after he retired. 
How'd you know your brain wasn't working as well? Getting lost when you're a block and a half from your home? You last worked when? I don't know. You can't remember. Does that frustrate you? Yeah. Does that happen often? More than it should. I talk to people that I've played with and they'll bring up things that we did and I'll laugh and act like I remember, but... Based on Calicut's age and diagnosis, the settlement would have paid him about a million dollars. But his application was denied by the claims administrators. They said he didn't have Alzheimer's, that his memory problems and dementia-like symptoms were actually just side effects of the medication he takes. Medication, ironically, for his physical injuries from playing football. When you heard that Ken was denied, yes. what was your reaction? you got to be kidding me. Dr. Charles Seegerman is one of two doctors who diagnosed Calicut with Alzheimer's disease. I think our interpretation was accurate. The neurologist agreed it was accurate. Never, never in the 35 years that I've been doing this, and I do other types of litigation, has that criticism been used to say, this person doesn't have what you're diagnosing. But it's not just players whose claims are being denied who are not getting paid. Many have had their diagnoses approved by the independent panel overseeing the settlement, only to find that their payments are then being blocked by the NFL, which has appealed dozens of payments set to go out to players. In March, New York Jets legend Mark Gastineau appeared on a radio show to publicly beg the league for his money. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease and was approved to receive $1 million until the NFL stepped in. My brain, okay, is not the same. My wife, she helps me get out of bed and she'll help me remember names. It's not good. And I'll tell you this much. The NFL's wrong. They're wrong. I'm not telling them to give me zillions of dollars. I just want to be treated with respect. In a statement, the NFL told us that any delay in the processing of claims is the result of doctors and lawyers who have submitted hundreds of fraudulent claims. The league alleged there is significant documented evidence that many players are faking their symptoms. Do you think that the NFL's claims of fraud widespread fraud are overstated? No doubt they're overstated. There's no doubt based on what I've seen. Attorney Chris Seeger negotiated the settlement on behalf of the players. He says that while some fraudulent claims appear to have been filed, the league is crying wolf about the size of the problem in order to keep from paying. It is not widespread. It's not rampant in my view. I don't want to let them use this as an excuse to not pay legitimate claims. The NFL cites fraud on the parts of doctors, other players. Is that a legitimate concern of theirs? Well, it's a convenient concern, but we nobody's contacted us. They didn't ask us any questions. They didn't try to vet uh, Scott's application. Other families say they've been cut out of the money for a different reason altogether. To their surprise, some of the most notorious symptoms of head injury among football players are not covered under the settlement at all. Do you have depression? Yes. Do you have anger control issues? Yes. Mood swings? 
Yes. Do you have trouble sleeping? <laughs> yes. Have you ever tried to kill yourself? Twice. But my oldest daughter helped me at the time. Um, <laughs> she explained to me that she needed me. She needed me. Unfortunately for Ronnie LePet, who played for years with the Patriots, the NFL did not agree to provide payments for those symptoms, even as the league has seen a string of suicides, incidents of domestic violence, and even murder committed by players known to be suffering from brain injury. In December of 2017, the claims administrator sent you a letter denying your claim. Unfortunately, yes. Does that make any sense to you? No. I didn't want to talk to anybody. My wife, as she kept close watch on me to make sure, you know, I was okay. I think they're basically looking for ways not to pay out. Dr. Wayne Gordon from Mount Sinai Hospital in New York is one of the top neuropsychologists in the country and has evaluated players for the settlement. He says many former players suffer from the same behavioral problems as Ronnie LePet, but have no way to get money. They could be agitated. They could be emotionally dysregulated. They could be uh, um, blowing up at family members for no apparent reason. They could be severely depressed. So all of these key issues are not on the table. That's correct. How do you explain that? Well, if you're trying to maximize your ability to hold on to your pot of gold, this is the way to do it. We wanted to talk to the NFL about this, but okay, the league uh, denied our request for an interview. So we asked the player's attorney, Chris Seeger, who cut the deal with the NFL, why these symptoms were left out. Can a doctor give a medical diagnosis for depression? Yes. Can a doctor give a medical diagnosis for rage? Yes. For suicide ideation? Absolutely. For PTSD? Mm-hmm. Why would you not make them part of the settlement? It's a fair question, because, I, because the NFL wouldn't compensate those injuries. Why didn't you fight for that? I did fight. Oh, no, no. So that's where I'll push back. I fought very hard. I fought very hard for each and every one of those. But the reality is we were not going to, you know, sacrifice the entire settlement. So a personal friend, Chris Gedney, two months ago, he took his life. Mm -hmm. He played seven years in the NFL. During the times when the NFL was not acknowledging that there was a connection between head trauma and playing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Chris recognized that there was something not right with his brain. He became depressed. He had other behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. And he takes his life. But he wouldn't have qualified, would he have? If the only medical condition that was diagnosed at the time of his death was depression, no, it would not be compensable under the settlement. But that's not the only concession Seeger admits he made to the NFL to get the deal done. The deal also imposed a narrow nine-year window for paying players who died with CTE, the degenerative disease caused by head trauma. That window has cut out a number of families, including one that's lost repeated battles with the NFL before. We've been screwed so many times and been left out of things that we try not to get too... Hopeful. Hopeful or excited. That's how you would characterize it, that you've been screwed. Yeah. 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 Screwed by the NFL. Yes. In what way? 
every time the NFL has a chance to just simply acknowledge and say, hey, you know, your dad's death and sacrifice meant a lot. It's no, he just didn't exist and he just made it all up. Garrett's father and Pam's ex-husband was Iron Mike Webster, the Hall of Fame center and anchor of four Super Bowl winning teams whose brain was so badly damaged after 17 years in the league that he couldn't function when he retired. Hell, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just tired and confused right now. That's why I say it. I can't really, I can't say it the way I want to say it. I could, I could say, I could answer this real easy at other times, but right now I'm just tired. He ended up losing everything, his money, his family, and his home. Over the years, he lived in a train station and in his car, all the while suffering rage, depression, PTSD, and insomnia. We'd have to use a, a stun gun on him, so hopefully he could try to get a little bit of sleep. Used a stun gun on him? Yeah. Would it work? Yeah. He would more of just kind of grit his teeth for a minute. Mike Webster was convinced that it was football that caused his brain damage and famously fought the league for years for disability payments. Time and again, his lawyers argued his case. Five doctors, three of them different mental health professionals, a psychologist, a psychiatrist and a neurologist all agreed that this is a guy who, after pro football, simply couldn't make a living. The NFL wouldn't have it, though. Denying him disability until he died in 2002 at the age of 50 from a heart attack. But that's when a local medical examiner would discover something that would change the NFL forever. The first ever known case of CTE in the brain of a football player. If Dr. Amalo doesn't study your dad's brain, is there an NFL lawsuit? Is there an NFL settlement? No. Not without Mike Webster. Given that we're not sitting here without his case, most likely. There's no doubt. That if we go back to what the NFL said and you as a partner in the settlement said that the NFL actually wants to do the right thing by retired players, doing the right thing is paying Mike Webster. You are 100% right. I wish there was an NFL representative right now answering that question because that's a question that I would pose to the NFL. But How do you, you had the chance to pose that to the NFL Absolutely. when you constructed this settlement, didn't you? Of course, and it was attempted. Be 17-11. Today, the Websters say they are struggling to get by. Garrett delivers pizza for a living, while Pam says she lives out of a suitcase. I haven't had a home for seven years. This family has been so broken by... What's happened to Mike? When you say you haven't had a home for seven years, what are you doing? Kind of like um, a gypsy. I go from couch to couch. Chris Seeger says he's trying to find a way to help the Websters and other players who are hoping to get money from the NFL. But some of them say they've lost faith in him as well. When we first met Seeger in 2013, after the deal was struck, he vowed it would work. Any player who is sick, you submit your doctor's records to the fund, and you get compensated. Now, some say, he cut a flawed deal with the NFL, lured by the promise of a big payday. You are due to be compensated very handsomely as a result of this settlement. Mm -hmm. Up to $70 million, correct? If it's approved by the court, which is completely within her discretion, that's, that sounds right, yes. Okay. Why would you already be awarded the fees mm -hmm. when there are players who are getting denied and they're not getting their money? If you're asking me, is the fact that some people are not happy with the settlement, if that's the basis for me not getting paid, that would be a pretty high bar that I don't know many, if many lawyers could clear. 
I think generally that we've done a very good job merely based on the fact that we have forced the NFL to pay a lot more than anybody thought they would. Have you ever talked to Chris Eager? No. Has he ever met you, Scott? No. I'm assuming that Chris Seeger would say to you, this is the best that I could do. This was all the NFL would give us. And if not for this deal, we'd be tied up in court for years and years, and you'd never see a dime. I think we would say, well, we haven't seen a dime now. To date, several hundred ex-players have been paid, by and large the most severely ill ones, like those suffering from ALS. They've received more than $180 million, and the league says more money is on the way. Meantime, more than 2,000 players are still waiting for a salvation many of them fear will never come or may not arrive until it's too late. How many times will I ask you what you need and you'll say, I need my gun? He's asked you that question? Yes, he's asked me that question. And given the fact that we've seen that players in the NFL have done exactly that, it's frightening. A quick postscript. In the years since we aired that story, the NFL has increased their payments to retirees who have applied for financial relief. But the process is slow going, and many old gridiron greats suffering in retirement are still waiting to collect the money for which they say they qualify. According to court records, more than 1,000 former NFL players have submitted dementia claims that have been denied. One factor holding some of these payments up is what we noted in our intro, the controversial practice of race norming, by which a number of former NFL players have had diagnoses of cognitive disabilities rejected on the basis of their race. To explain this further, we're now joined by one of the neuropsychologists who conducted these exams, Dr. Charles Golden. Dr. Golden, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's start with this. Can you explain to our audience in simple terms, what race norming is and the circumstances under which using race norming might be appropriate. Norming in, in psychology is the group that we compare you to in order to see how you're performing. So normally, for example, in intelligence testing, we, we compare you to a group that is representative of the United States as a whole. So represents white, black, Hispanic, and other people. Race norming comes about where we compare you only to the group of the race that you're in. So you compare only to white people, to black people, or to Hispanic people. And this came about because in the school systems back in the 1960s, that many black and Hispanic students were being excluded from honors and gifted classes on the basis of IQ tests. And it became rapidly clear that the IQ tests were culturally biased against black and Hispanic students. So the idea came about, well, if we just compare black students to each other, we can take the top black students and we can do the same with Hispanics and take the top Hispanic students and include them in honors and gifted types of programs. So the intention was to expand the number of people who got access to these types of special programs. Then when neuropsychology, which is the study of brain function, came along, the idea came, well, maybe because these tests are biased, we're gonna to diagnose too many people with brain damage. We're gonna think they have a head trauma or we're gonna think they have a brain tumor or a stroke when in fact they didn't. 
So a group introduced the idea of having race norms. And they did not work as well as in the other situations. There's not a lot of proof that race norms in neuropsychology made a big difference in the accuracy of identifying brain damage. And in fact, studies that we did almost two decades ago suggested that it was whether you used race norms or not, you got about exactly the same results. So in your mind, why is race norming inappropriate in these cases of examining former NFL players? The problem with the race norms is in these situations is that if you have two players who perform exactly the same on the test, have exactly the same background, went to the same university, uh, play the same position for the same number of years, and had exactly the same scores, that under certain conditions, if you use the white norms, the player would qualify for being classified as demented and therefore getting the money that's involved. But if you use the black norms, they would be uh, they would be set up as having uh, as not having dementia and therefore not qualifying. And this is where the problem came from. In real work. If I was a clinician and I had two players who were identical as I've just described them, uh, regardless of whether I used race norms or not, I would recognize that, yes, they both have deficits, they both have problems, they probably they both have dementia, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But when using these absolute cutoffs without using clinical judgment, then this whole process becomes uh, biased against the Black players. You were approved as a neuropsychologist who could conduct these examinations of former players and assess whether they would qualify under the terms of the settlement. What were you told at the outset, Dr. Golden, about race norming, whether it would be encouraged, expected, required? When I first was approached by uh, the people who were uh, working on, on the settlement, I saw in the materials they sent me that the issue of race norms had been brought up. In, this, in the material, it said, basically you can use the race norms or not use the race norms, but that, and that it, it was up to you, but that they encouraged you to use race norms. I immediately said to them after reading that, I said, I'm not, I can't do this if I have to use race norms. And their response to me was, you don't have to use race norms. It's up to you. It's your, it's your judgment. So as a result, we never used race norms on any of the 100-plus NFL players that I saw. So you've examined about 100 retired players applying for relief under the settlement. I want to ask you about one in particular, Najee Davenport. Tell me about that examination and what you found. Najee's Devin Porsche was a fairly straightforward examination, and we found that he qualified as having dementia when we did not use the race norms. And we sent in the recommendation, along with the neurologist on the case who evaluated him separately, that he qualified as a patient with dementia. So based on your professional assessment, he would have qualified to be paid under the terms of the settlement. That's correct. What happened next? What happened next is it went to a company called Brown Greer, which was doing the initial work on the settlement. They approved uh, our recommendation. It then went to, up to the 
NFL lawyers who were monitoring the case, and they have the ability to appeal uh, any decision that is made at this lower level. They appealed the decision, arguing that I should have used race norms and that if I had used race norms, he would not, he would barely have just not qualified and therefore should not get any money. I objected strongly to that and uh, it ended up going to court eventually because the NFL contended that you had to use race norms, even though the settlement said you had the option of not using race norms. So Dr. Golden, let me make sure I have this right. So you did your professional testing of Najee Davenport, former NFL running back. You determined that he had dementia and would qualify to be paid under the settlement. Brown Greer, the law firm that oversees and approves these settlements, went ahead and and approved. And the NFL's lawyers came back to you, rejected the claim on the grounds specifically that you did not use race norms. Is that correct? That is correct. So there was no vagueness as to what issue they had with your finding or your diagnosis? Not in his case, there wasn't. The NFL has previously said these race norms were developed to stop bias in testing, not perpetuate it, and that the practice was never mandatory, but left purely to the discretion of doctors taking part in the settlement program like yourself. You say to that what? First, to the idea that race norms were designed to help people is absolutely correct. When we talk about the intelligence testing, the personality testing, that was certainly the goal, and even their use in neuropsychological testing. But they were never, ever meant to be used in a rigid way without clinical judgment being employed in the evaluation of the client. But when they say that it wasn't required, it wasn't in the document. I absolutely agree with them. However, when you chose not to use the race norms, and it came out with a decision that the NFL didn't like, suddenly they were objecting to not using the norms and stating that use of the norms was indeed mandatory. And indeed, they argued be in front of a special master to whom this case was appealed. They argued that I should have used race norms and I was in error by not using race norms. So it was no longer my clinical judgment that prevailed as far as they were concerned. I want to read for you part of another past public statement made by an NFL representative in which he said the settlement was, quote, agreed to by all parties with the assistance of expert neuropsychological clinicians and relied on widely accepted and long-established cognitive tests and scoring methodologies. Is this practice as widely accepted as the league says? And in your experience, have you ever seen race norming used in this way? The tests certainly are widely used. However, the tests were never intended to be used in an absolutely rigid way where you ignored the client's history, the client's behavior, the feedback from the family and observational information, and then also used absolute cutoff points where basically, for example, if a person got a score of 40, you'd say, ah, he's totally normal. But if he's got a score of 39, you say, ah, now he's demented and abnormal. 
which is where we've ended up with this type of process that we're engaging in. So that was never normal. Use of these norms used by a skilled clinician in conjunction with history and other information that you gather on the client is a perfectly adequate and accepted way of seeing clients. But it was distorted by the settlement in an attempt, it appears when you set up this kind of rigid system, to avoid clinical opinion to just force the clinician to follow these numbers and to and their observations and their uh, beliefs about the client become irrelevant. And in reality, when we do for, this is a forensic case, uh, when you do for legal types of cases, uh, we, we never deal with a binary situation. We deal with people who have mild injuries, moderate injuries, moderate, severe, severe injuries. And again, you use your clinical judgment to classify where they fall on that continuum. The NFL approach doesn't allow us to recognize that that continuum exists. And many of the individuals rejected by the NFL settlement are people who have impairment. It's just not the exact kind of impairment as defined in the settlement. Some context for our audience, Dr. Golden. Brown, Greer, and the NFL have expressed regret for allowance of race norms and pledged to end the practice. They've said they're going to reassess and retroactively grant awards to retired players who would have previously qualified if not for the use of race norms. However, as we sit here today, from what we've been told, your patient, Najee Davenport, is among the many who still haven't been paid. As the medical professional who did his testing and diagnosed him, how does that sit with you? I feel it's incredibly unfair. And for a lot of these patients who have substantial impairment and daily living problems, um, I, I know of one patient that I saw that falls into this group that actually has died while waiting to uh, to see if he qualifies. So this is not something that can can be easily accepted. Although, again, the way the legal system is is set up, there's very little, unfortunately, we can do about it. So yeah, we heard the expression earlier from a former player: "Deny, deny till you die." Sadly, you're saying you've seen that with one of your patients. Yes, and which is very disturbing. And now the client can't be retested. So even if they say, okay, go back, retest him, see if we we were wrong, he's dead. So their response to that is he's dead. So it doesn't matter anymore. But it does to his family, who's lost out quite a bit, unfortunately. Last question, Dr. Golden. Having been pulled into the middle of this race norming debate, I wonder how it changed your impression of the NFL where this settlement agreement is concerned. What do you take away from this experience? I think that the NFL is a large corporation who is doing the best for itself. And I think the settlement was a good example of that. Their lawyers did a really good job for the NFL in reaching the settlement, no matter what they say. And from that point of view, if I was a stockholder in the NFL, I guess I would be happy. 
But from a point of view of a neuropsychologist, I think there is a lot more brain injury going on in clients who play football, especially for an extended period of time that's not being recognized and not being fairly reimbursed. Well, uh, the NFL's lawyers and the class of players have been ordered by a judge now back to the negotiating table. They're discussing this matter of race norming as they renegotiate. I, I have a sense this story isn't fully going away. We'll hear more about it. But Dr. Golden, we certainly appreciate you coming on to share your, your insights and your experience. Thank you so much. I'm glad to do it. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's Real Sports podcast. We'll be back with a new episode following the premiere of the next Real Sports on September 21st. And a quick reminder to everyone listening, you can watch all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time.